0: All right, here we are. It is the Rad Junk Podcast, and it is, uh, I guess, technically Monday, November 27th at 1.33 a.m. We are super late getting this episode out uh, due to the holidays and a bunch of other stuff going on. We're also running a test for some new equipment, so bear with me if anything gets funky. We're running everything off my laptop. Um, We've also got some new equipment that'll be on the way next week to make this easier for incorporating guests and uh the girls the people that actually work with me on a daily basis Uh, my name is joe alonzo i own rad junk rad bar and really rad weekend rad junk is a retro video game store in fort walton beach florida um we specialize in rad old games all the way from atari to the current gen rad bar is an arcade bar um With free to play arcade games, you pay a cover charge, you play all you want, and then you just buy your drinks. It's basically like somebody's basement where you can hang out and have a good time. And Really Rad Weekend is our retro video game convention we host every single year in November. Um, We just had one and we give all the money to charity. We fly in a bunch of YouTubers and content creators to hang out with everybody on the beach. So, yeah, how was everyone's Thanksgiving? Um, For us, it's a food holiday. We get to feed all of our employees and just have our friends over and it's a good time. It's my one of my favorite holidays because I get to just throw down in the kitchen, which is a big deal to me. Um, I like to do that. Also, if you are watching us live on Twitch, um, just as a side, I don't know how this is going to look. We're running my Nikon mirrorless camera for the first time through my MacBook, through like a bunch of crazy adapters. And whatever this took me hours to set up and i also had to wait for my kid to go to bed so here we are um i don't know how it's going to look overall i think we're outputting at like 720p um but recording in 1080 or some crazy stuff like that um but yeah back to thanksgiving so we had everybody over let me refer to my show notes to make sure i'm on the right thing um we had everybody over to eat. We cooked a bunch of food. But before that, we had to get the house ready for everybody to come over. Um, and I don't know if I touched on this in the last episode. My cousin called me a while back and was like, hey, do you want a TV that my boss is getting rid of? And I was like, sure. Not really thinking about it. Um, this was an 86-inch LG TV that took up my entire truck bed, um, entirely overkill, really cool set though. It's, you know, 86 inches, which is far larger than I would ever really want in a television. Um, and we could not wall mount it. We're renting our home and I did not feel comfortable wall mounting it and having to try to figure out, uh, stuff all around that and surrounding that and mounting things and drilling holes and walls and blah, blah, blah. Plus it's really heavy it weighs like 120 pounds, maybe more. Um, so we're like, okay, we can't just have this giant thing just sitting on the floor waiting for a stand. Cause that's the other thing. The TV didn't have feet. Um, cause it was hung in a wall in its previous location. So we ordered some feet we went and bought two media centers to put together to hold the weight and balance it out as it's sitting on these feet. Um, And then as we're doing this, like two days before Thanksgiving, when everybody's going to come over, um, we realized that we ordered the wrong feet. I guess there was a mid generation change in the television. So there's the same model number, but with two different sets of accessories And so uh, we were out of luck. So the next day, we get in the car. We return the two media centers we purchased at Target. We go to Best Buy, and I bought this stand um, that's kind of like center-weighted. And basically, it puts a platform under the center of the television, and it um, holds the TV. And then we bought a nice media center there that could hold the weight and whatever. Let me tell you, though. Picking up a TV that large uh, between Sam and myself was a complete struggle. It was real tough. I won't lie. Um, putting this thing together sucked. It took all day to get the TV like dialed and everything set up, which put us behind on cooking. Um, however, we got everything done with the television. Looks really nice. Um, it's an older model. It's 4K. HDR, does 120, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's basically one of the better sets you could get before things started going OLED. Uh, so once that was done, um, <laughs> trying to think. My brain is fried. Uh, I intended on starting to cook the night before Thanksgiving because I wrote a menu that was not elaborate but involved. Um, basically we did some beef tenderloin we got some pre-cooked hams um, as far as proteins go and then I did a sweet potato casserole that was topped with toasted pistachios um, that were candied with brown sugar and blah 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 Uh, I also did a smoky green bean casserole that had smoked gouda and cheddar in it topped with you know the traditional fried onions um, but I used some smoky bacon in there as well that I par and mixed into everything with the cream of mushroom. Um, Sam made some awesome pies. And then I did another sweet potato casserole that instead of the pistachios, I used the Bucky's um, Cajun pecans that I touched on in the last episode. So it had a little bit of heat to the topping, which was really good. So I was super stoked about that. Um, but like I said, I was supposed to start cooking the night before and i did not so i woke up late the next morning um got started super late everybody was coming over at like three to four luckily everybody else ran late which gave us time to finish everything off before they got there and then once everybody got there uh the girls all brought some really awesome dishes as well meg brought some vegetables neem brought some lumpia. jess brought some candied bacon molly brought herself um and everything was great. Um, we had some family over as well. Everybody had a good time. We just hung out. We intended on recording an episode of the podcast with myself, Sam and Molly. However, we're couldn't get Joey to bed. Um, and it was just tough to like get things done. So I was going to postpone until the next day. And then we just, you know, it was black Friday at the shop, which we'll touch on in a minute and everything. So Here we are. We're finally recording. It's very late on Sunday night, Monday morning, and uh, it's craziness. So, new camera setup. I hope it looks good. I don't know how the Twitch side looks, um, but here we are. Let me tell you, though, to touch back on the, um, the TV, so... Like I said, it's like 4k HDR 120, all that stuff. And, um, I wanted to really test it out with like the Xbox series X. That was the console I could hook up at the moment. So I did that. I downloaded the new Forza game and I know a lot of people have been complaining about the new Forza because of the, like, you have to do the practice laps and like all this stuff. And it's like car RPG and, um, Nice. Uh Ryan's in the chat, and he said he just got home from Radbar, which that's fantastic timing. Um So I loaded it up and turned on all the bells and whistles like Dolby Vision and you know the 4K one twenty and all that. And it looks good. It looks really good. Um maybe it's because I've been playing on four K monitors as well. I don't see that much difference between, like, the 60 frames per second unless it's locked at 60. I don't really understand. Um, Maybe it's because my eyes are old. I know it makes a difference, but, like, not discernible. However, playing it on a massive screen is kind of wild. And also, I have a soundbar that does Dolby Atmos, so the audio is really cool. So I was trying to find some things to play, and I ended up playing Forza. Um, I was playing some cannot remember the name of the game. I think it's Descenders. It's like a downhill mountain bike game. Um that does not show off the fidelity of any TV. However, that game is super fun if you haven't played it. It's on Game Pass. And um it's almost like a roguelike mountain biking game, which is wild. I don't know. I really like it. So, that's what I've been playing. Um also, let's see what's going on in my life. Um, I sold a domain name recently for a decent chunk of money, which is going to be able to afford us to buy some new podcast gear and do a proper four person setup so we can get things rolling a little bit better, uh, even if we have just three people and we can go live from the shop again easier. Um, That's almost what I'm testing tonight with my laptop. That's why we're not running off the desktop. So. We're going to give that a shot. Um, probably going to order that equipment this coming week. Uh, a couple more mics. Cause I cannot find any of my microphones other than this one right now, which is wild. Um, and yeah, so things are going pretty good as far as future production goes of not only this podcast, but other shows. I have a call on Tuesday with a video editor, um, that was at the convention, it's Big John. Um, he and I are gonna try and collaborate on some things and see if we can get some more content coming from the shop on the YouTube channel. It's YouTube.com radjunk. Cause we kind of wanna like I know there's all kinds of channels now that, you know, including Retro Rick that are, you know, showing off things that happen at their shops and all of that throughout the week. And we have a pretty unique way of not only doing business, but as far as our customer base goes and our events and things like that. So we really want to capture that. Um, I know it's kind of cliche, but we are like clerks in a way in Empire Records. We've got some fun stories to tell. So we're trying to get some more content out there. I just, between my kid and the businesses, I have a hard time editing. That's why we have been doing a lot of shorts instead of long form content, but it is coming. So just bear with us a little bit longer. the podcast is going to get back to the regular rotation. You might get two episodes this week since I tried to record on Thursdays and now we're technically recording on Monday just to get back in that rhythm. Um, or I'll, you know, since I think this is going to be a longer episode, maybe we'll skip this Thursday and pick it back up next Thursday and then continue the weekly thing, but new equipment on the way to use. In addition to this, um, Twitch chat. Sorry. I keep looking at my phone. I have my show notes on the phone this week instead of my computer, just because of screen real estate reasons, which if you're not using notion for collaborative note-taking, like you need to get on that because it is far better than Google docs in my opinion, and it's cohesive and works pretty well across devices. Um, I really like it anyway. So moving on another thing that happened, Today my I ordered another analog pocket <clears throat> and I know that that's dumb. However, um, I've had my black analog pocket since wave 2, I guess um, so pretty much since they came out, uh, I love it to death. it's a great device. I don't see myself ever not having an analog pocket of some sort. however, They released some new colors the other day that weren't just the translucent ones. It's more like the Play It Loud edition Game Boys. So they're like solid colors. They released like an orange, a pink, um, a purple one. I think a blue one. Maybe there was another color. A green, maybe. Um, And I got a yellow one. I know a couple of my friends that got pink. um, Ian and Wyatt both did. I grabbed the yellow one. I thought it looked cool. Uh, One thing I noticed, though, while I was checking out, because I happened to wake up like five minutes before they went live, and I got mine within like 30 seconds. um, I noticed that there was a lot more stock available this time, or the number of people purchasing had decreased. And I think that's because everybody who wants a pocket at this point has one, and they don't want to rebuy, which is fine. Um, It's just, it's cool to see these things become readily available without so much FOMO or scalping happening to where people can actually get their hands on them. Cause I know a lot of people really wanted a pocket and they were having to fight, you know, bots and scalpers and all that stuff. So it's good to see them be available. We did see where some colors sold out faster than others. I believe the purple color sold out first and the silver or blue one right behind that which was interesting. I was for sure yellow would go pretty quick. However, uh, I think... I don't know if they're still available. I haven't checked. But I do know that they were selling relatively quickly uh, after a little bit. But only a few colors sold out. So it looked like there was pretty good stock this time around. um, Which is cool. It's really cool. I don't know if I'm going to keep the yellow one. What I might do is take my black one to trade night or give it away on the YouTube channel or the podcast. I don't know. It was just a thought. Um, <clears throat> Cause I don't really need to Sam doesn't want one because we kind of share it. So I'm thinking about either trading it to somebody um, or putting it in the shop or doing a giveaway. So keep an eye on the YouTube page. Maybe we'll give it away soon. Um, it could be kind of cool. We'll do some kind of contest or competition. Maybe somebody could like design something and we'll give it to the best design. I don't know. We'll do like a subscriber thing. I don't know how these things work. I'm new to this. We've been uploading content for 10 years, but uh, I'm new to all the little gimmicks and stuff like that. Cause it's not really my thing. So yeah, I got a yellow analog pocket. Um, I'll probably be unboxing that tonight before I go to bed. Cause I want to check it out maybe tomorrow. So that was cool. Um, what else is going on? So we went over Thanksgiving after Thanksgiving, thank God my mother was off work for Black Friday so she could watch my child because, uh, the shop was Sam, Molly and myself for Black Friday. It's pretty crazy. I won't lie. It was a nice busy day. Um, there wasn't any downtime. We did some really good sales. Uh, We ran a sale where it was like buy two, get one free on $15 and under games, uh, 25% off strategy guides and magazines, which we also put out a bunch of Nintendo powers and stuff like that. We had some discounts on some other items. And then uh, we marked down our budget bin that has a lot of actually good games in it uh, to a dollar per game so that was really cool i think we also ran like 20 percent off vinyl records which was fun um and so we ran that for not only black friday but also small business saturday and then we also ran the same sale today that's traditionally what we do um maybe we'll change it up at some point but it works for us and people really seem to enjoy it so it was good we did really good sales um As far as like numbers go, we saw a lot of people. It's interesting too, because this time of year, especially black Friday and small business Saturday brings out a lot of people that we don't normally see. So we get a lot of uh, not only new customers, but customers that uh, might only stop in once a year to buy a gift for someone in their life that really likes rad junk. And so it's fun to see them get excited about the games again because we're all a little like cynical and jaded because we're like, Oh man, more games. Like, why are we, <laughs> you know, why are we still doing this? Um, but it's a good time because you get to talk to people. I talked to a, an older gentleman as I was working on the CRT wall and, uh, turns out he used to work on CRTs and he really knew his stuff. and It was, you know, refreshing. Lots of, uh, older people talking to me about Atari computers, which was fun, uh, cause that's my jam. I really like to get into that stuff. I acquired at really rad weekend, a complete Apple two E setup with like a monitor and disc drives and blah, blah, blah. And so I was setting that up at the shop, uh, this weekend and people were seeing me work on it. So it was kind of like sparking their interest, which was cool. Uh, Ryan, really? um, so that was fun, like I said, it's always good to like see some new people in the store and then see them get excited about things that you don't really get to talk about very much. Um, I was doing some repairs this weekend too uh my p v m just completely died. I have an ikigami like t m 17 R or something like that that I got a while back. It's like a 20 inch, 19 inch viewable uh, broadcast monitor with RGB and all that stuff. And so something happened where it got knocked around and one of the sync BNC connectors got knocked off. And so it lost most of the color palette. It's only displaying green when you go through component. So I don't know what's going on. I pulled the board on it. Everything looks good. Um, I bridged where right? plan on bridging where the BNC connector was just to keep it working. Um, However, I can't get the convergence to line up, and I don't think it has anything to do with the locking rings on the tubes. This is like some deep CRT talk that I'm sorry. Um, But I would like to get it working again because it's a beautiful display. So started working on that, couldn't get anywhere. So I buttoned it up and I'm going to revisit it. Um, I've got an Xbox One S on the workbench right now that I dismantled uh, for a customer. And it was really dusty inside, even though they cleaned it. There's a design thing and it's better than how I view the PlayStation 4s being designed. Um, but still semi-problematic. So you can see where they kind of blew out the dust, but it pushed it inward towards a metal grate that's kind of like a half cage around the inside of the console. And then all the dust gets pushed to not only the hard drive area, but where the power supply is. There's some smaller grates and it clogs the power supply, which could pose some problems in the future. So I cracked that open. I uh, there's a short on our YouTube channel that I posted of blowing out the dust and I need to get in there and reseat the hard drive and do a couple other things to see if I can get that going. Um, did a bunch of battery replacements this week. Um, <laughs> Ryan in the chat says amazing design. So honestly, the one S surprisingly is designed very well compared to other consoles in the generation. Like when you crack it open, it's pretty much just the essentials. Um, there's some really good stuff. It is chambered, which is nice. The only problem is, is that if it's in a dusty environment and you clean it and you're pushing the dust in, it looks like that's the problem. So I'm going to try and solve that or come up with some solution for that. Uh, but, did a bunch of battery replacements, not only for games that came into the shop, but also some customers. Um, one thing that's always a pain is I did a Pokemon Emerald and it seems to be the only time something goes South on a battery replacement. I've done thousands and thousands at this point in my life, um, happens to be with Pokemon Emerald and the way that it works. The ROM chip is positioned on the board where the battery for the real-time clock, the legs of it go over it, and it sits kind of on top of the ROM chip. And if any solder, like, bubbles or gets flung onto the legs of that ROM chip, it, you know, screws the game. So I did one, tested it, worked fine, gave it to the customer, they left. uh, They came back irate because it wasn't working, which rightfully so. Um, it made a screeching noise and then stopped. So I cracked it back open and I had to look at it under the scope. There was a tiny, 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 tiny piece of solder that had bridged two of the legs on the ROM chip. So I reflowed the legs, um, using some flux in the iron and then it was good to go. So that's like the second or third time that's happened. Not only to myself, but also Sam and previously Tony, Where a Pokemon Emerald has just like been a real pain. Uh, But we got that working for the customer, which was good. And they were happy after that. Um, So that's solid. It was, I hate Pokemon Emerald so much. It's such a pain. (laughs) You got to really build up the solder on those pads to kind of get some good stuff, especially with the aftermarket batteries, because their legs are like a millimeter. Not fun. Normally I bend them down. So you get a little bit of springboard action on there. So that's good. Uh, We got the CRT wall pretty much back together, or close to it. Um, Sam fixed a bunch of consoles yesterday, which is awesome. She's really good at taking the consoles apart and replacing lasers and dialing them in. I also, I know this is dumb, but while we're talking about repairs, I ordered. So at the shop, we have a Hako FX 888 D or whatever it's, I consider it a budget soldering iron, but it's a pretty solid one, especially if you're starting out or you're just doing like normal battery replacements and things like that. Um, really good iron. It kind of looks like Fisher price stuff. Cause it's blue and yellow. I use pace units here at the house, um, which I like the analog control, but the Hako units, a digital, but Needed some new tips, so I took the opportunity to order like a variety because of some surface mount stuff that I'm doing and uh, a couple other things we're diving into. So, when I did, Hako <laughs> said I qualified for a free gift, and one of those things you could choose from, which was funny because you could choose from like a branded back scratcher or like some other things. Uh, I chose a shot glass. And the shot glass showed up, and it's like a heavy-duty, really nice, like, laser-engraved Hako shot glass. It's like a two-ouncer. It reminds me of, like, the heavy shot glasses on Indiana Jones when uh, the chick is playing the drinking game. And uh, I just, I don't know. I thought that was funny that, you know, a company that makes soldering products sent me a shot glass like a really nice shot glass. So maybe I'll start drinking underberg out of that. Let's see. What else have we got on our notes? New soldering tips, uh, trade nights coming up. I believe it is this coming Saturday, which is also Ratter day at the bar. So trade nights, our monthly swap meet at the shop, been doing it for a long time. Started it at my friend Dave's store back in the day. And we've carried the torch. Um, basically we let a bunch of people in the store to sell their own games, trade their own games. It's like a swab meet. It's an excuse to see everybody once a month and kind of get out of the house and do stuff. Um, so first one after really rad weekend, super excited to see everybody and just hang out to be honest. Um, and then radder day is our anniversary event that we do every year for the bar. And this year marks four years of being open at rad bar. And, uh, it's kind of crazy to think that we've been open for four years. It's, uh, it's been a wild ride. We opened in 2019, uh, which is the worst possible time to open. I think we lost a Twitch stream maybe. Oh, no, nope, there it is. Maybe it's just my playback. I don't know. Um, so that was the worst time to open. I quit my job. COVID quarantine stuff happened we couldn't open we struggled through that but we're still here um and you know things are back in the swing of things or whatever um so yeah four years of rad bar it's almost been eight years of rad junk which is crazy to think about um so those events are happening saturday i can't wait to party um We're going to have Pie Face out there, which is a pizza food truck. Uh, They make some of the best pizza in town, honestly. And I'm super, super stoked about that. So that's this coming Saturday. Those are going to be a good time. Let's jump into our market report. This won't be a very long one, but we've got some stuff to talk about here. So each week I like to talk about what our top sellers are at the shop kind of where the market's going as far as retro games, uh, because this stuff changes daily. We go over it weekly, but um, you know, it moves like the stock market. You never know what's going to happen. I know a lot of people are saying like prices are crashing, but those people just don't know what it was like before the boom in 2020 when prices exploded. So everything will be fine. This is normal. People want to play games. So, This week's top sellers are a couple surprising things in here. PlayStation 2 games, which is not surprising. That's always a strong seller for us, and you'll see that in the top areas quite often. Um, It definitely helped that we were running a buy two, get one free sale on $15 and under games because the PS2 library contains a lot of titles in that price range, especially good titles that people want to play. So that's a good thing. Then an interesting one was Xbox one consoles. Normally I don't include the consoles in this market wrap up. However, seeing a concentration of people buying Xbox one consoles when the current gen systems are the series consoles is very interesting. Um, I think a lot of people are buying them for game pass machines and you know, in that same breath as first consoles for their kids. So, you know, they can buy a console, they can pay the 10 to $15 a month, whatever it is for game pass. And then they have something their kids can play Minecraft on limitlessly, um, which is really cool. Uh, after that switch games were super hot this week. Switch consoles, were right after that, which is another thing I wanted to bring up because everybody keeps saying that the Switch is EOL, like end of life, um, which may be true, but the Switch library holds strong and it really drives hardware sales. You see a lot of people buying Switches to play specific games on the Switch. There are console sellers for that platform. Uh, See it a lot with Smash and Zelda and Animal Crossing. And it's interesting because you would think with rumors of a new switch coming out in the next year that it would decline. However, I've said this before the switch might be our most like purchased and traded back to the shop and repurchased item that we've ever had other than like game boys, which it kind of falls into that category as a handheld, which is really cool. So switch consoles are in there. And then, um, amiibos so sam got in a crazy amiibo lot last week and people have really been buying them up um they're nice packaged amiibos some pretty desirable ones i think most of them are in like the 20 dollar price range on average uh, a little more rare than some of the other ones but that's been selling strong so it's you can definitely tell it's holiday time too Because these purchases also line up with previous Christmases because, you know, people buying hardware for their kids. Amiibos are a good little gift in that like $20 and under category, especially if you have like Secret Santa stuff coming. Um, And then outside of all that, so that's like our top sales categories. But as far as what people have been talking about and purchasing outside of those just like sales numbers, there's been a lot of interest in OG Xbox and 360, which is wild to me. The other day we had multiple people talk about Operation Darkness on 360. And the love for that game is very high. I don't know if a video came out or something, um, but it was multiple people talking about that game. But then also a lot of people buying that probably $10 to $20 range of original Xbox games. Lots of people buying Jet Set Radio Future, which is cool. Um, Lots of people after hardware. So it looks like those consoles are starting to come into their collectability standpoints. And I think people are starting to get tired of the PS2, PS3 categories. We've touched on this multiple times on the show. And it's just kind of where the market is leaning. But we've also seen this before with other platforms where people start to lose interest in the popular consoles at the time to collect for. And so they try to lean towards these smaller, mainly niche categories to try and get something else to collect, not only to like make their collection stand out and be unique, but because maybe the prices are too high on like an opposing console because it's more popular. And so it drives the prices up on games. And so now they're looking for something to fill their shelves with. That's like, you know, a little special. Um, same reason why a lot of people used to get into Game Boy collecting because it was cheap and kind of easy. And now, you know, it's all starting to equalize. Um, and I think people are looking for those quote unquote hidden gems really hard on the Xbox platform and they're going to come like arcs vitalis will have its day and operation darkness will have its day, which it looks like that game's day is now, um, which is really cool so it's good to see those like really getting a push in the collector scene and then also this was just an odd one that i noticed quite a few people were asking for double dribble on the nes which it's a good game and you know it's fine and there's good sports titles on the nes and it's definitely one of them especially for that dunk animation that's in there but it's wild to see a game that has been super common like we call it like dirt, not in a bad way, but just like so common, it's as common as dirt. And it's a $5 game and we always have it. And you'll get a person that comes in, they'll buy an NES and they're like, Oh, let me get double dribble to go with it. You know, in addition to other games, but it's always like an afterthought and seeing people come in and specifically target double dribble is very interesting. Um, I've also noticed that NES collecting is like seeing a slight revival. I feel like it goes in waves and it's not as hardcore as it was like, you know, six to 10 years ago. But I've seen a lot of people that are coming in to get NES cards specifically just to play them, not even to like full set it or whatever, which used to be the most popular thing in the world to do. But people really just want to play NES games. So it's good to see that come back as well. It'll be so as we approach the holidays, we're going to see a lot more handheld cells and current gen console sales as far as games go it'll be weird to see if gamecube really drops off as i've kind of been predicting and more people lean into the wii because we have been selling the crap out of wii consoles wii motes and wii games and so i think that's really going to be the sweet spot this year and leading into next year as far as collecting nature and collecting priority as opposed to uh, the previous gen, which would have been GameCube. So, we'll see how that goes leading up to the holidays. There's only, you know, what, 20-something days? I guess 30 days until Christmas? Yeah, like, we're close. We're less than a month away, so get your shopping in, come to Rad Junk, (laughs) go to Rad Bar, buy some games. But that is our weekly market report which is super cool. Um, lots of interesting stuff in there this week. All right. This week's Q&A section is stacked. Um, all the homies really contributed this week. We've got some great questions. Normally what I'll do is I'll jump on the social media platforms, uh, Blue Sky, Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube, all that, and I'll ask if anybody has any questions for the show, at which point you can drop a comment, And then I'll try to answer your questions as we go. So this week we've got a lot. Um, First one comes from Wyatt over on Blue Sky. Wyatt of Wyatt's Wicked Goods. He makes the best blondies and some of the best cookies in the entire world. So seek him out. Order some cookies from the homies. Wyatt's first question. What is the highest value trade-in you've received at the store? So I read this question and I was trying to think about it. We've done some collection buyouts that would probably qualify as the highest. Um, Some were spread out over time. And I think one equated to about like probably $20,000, maybe $15,000. Over the course of a year or two, um, it was a friend of mine. She had a ton of stuff, basically like a three car garage, floor to ceiling of games, and I just kept going back and buying them. We worked out a great agreement. Um, other than that, I'm trying to think. Um, mainly it's collection buyouts in like the three to five thousand dollar range over the years. I've had a few of those. Um, off the top of my head of like single item trade ins, though. I feel like there's if we're talking pure trade in and not cash, then I can't qualify the NES TV because I think I paid a thousand dollars for that cash just straight up. Um done some Neo Geo AS trades over the years that were pretty good. Some Sega C D stuff. Um I know Sam did one at one point this year that I think was about three or $4,000 worth of stuff. It was a lot of hardware, like current gen consoles, somebody that was just in a tough financial spot and they traded their stuff in Um, things like that. So coming up with a raw number, I'm not really sure, (laughs) but a couple things of that nature, but mainly it's collection buyouts. I can't think of a single item. Oh, there was a, okay, I've got it actually. I have that. I acquired through trade a PlayStation three that was given away at the 2011, I think NBA all-star game or something like that. It was given out an NBA all-star game to eight people. Uh, primarily players. They said that they were going to give two away to non-players, but I don't know if that ever actually happened because it was after the fact. And it's basically a blue PlayStation three with some red emblems on it that say PlayStation, whatever. It looks like the tooling was done by the same company that did the NBA elite 11 playstations. And it's also possible that it coincided with playstations like fifth, anniversary, I believe, um, and it's super cool. That got traded in, and I believe we valued it at two thousand dollars. I think it was two or twenty five hundred, and um, that person got a bunch of different games and basically spanked the credit and saved it so they could get other things which was cool. So that was probably one of the higher single item trade-ins that we had received. I'm going to go with that. Uh, Wyatt had a second question, which was coincidentally also asked by my buddy Warehouse Dave. What are the top three cabinets you'd love to own for Radbar? Time Traveler. It's a 3D game made by Sega in the early 90s. I played it at Galloping Ghosts. I have a lot of nostalgia for that. The probably, so I'll call that number three. Number two, actually, we'll call that number two. Number three would be Alien Syndrome because it's one of the first games I remember playing in the back of a 7-Eleven that had a laundromat in Fort Walton. And the number one game I'd like to have for Radbar for selfish reasons, is Return of the Jedi Arcade, which was also in that same 7-Eleven. And it is probably the first or second arcade game I have a memory of playing, at least avidly. Um, outside of that, there's another arcade game that I cannot remember the name of. That is my first like arcade memory that I remember my dad holding me. And playing at a movie theater. I think it was the Cinco Bayou movie theater. And it had the Atari like castle style buttons. The volcano buttons. Um, But I cannot remember what the game is. But I think it would be. uh, From most desired. To last. It would be Return of the Jedi. Time Traveler. And Alien Syndrome. Specifically Alien Syndrome. With like the three eyed monster topper it's like pink like ooze almost i think that would be really cool i should have said something funny like prop what is that one uh the one where you pedal the bicycle prop something jump uh, i can't remember my brain is broken everyone uh good questions quiet jonathan asks on blue sky best deal on an arcade cabinet Money paid for a functional game versus value. Um, I think that would either be my MVS cabinet that had metal slug in it that we got for very little money in Gulf Shores through a sketchy online deal. said it was non-working, but the only problem was one of the buttons didn't work. Uh, which took two seconds to fix or I think we paid a hundred bucks. I bought a lot. Well, paid a hundred dollars for Donkey Kong jr. But also I bought 10 games from someone on the internet, which coincidentally was a friend of mine that I hadn't seen in years. For a thousand bucks, and almost every single one of them worked except for one. So we'll call that like $120 a cabinet. And there were some good ones. It was like Ivan Seward's Iron Man Off Road or whatever. Um, there was an R type cabinet in there, it was Golden Tea, all kinds of stuff. That was a really good deal. I'd say that those are probably the best. Uh, Jonathan had a follow-up question, though. It says, in the inescapable partner question, best investment money paid compared to current value? Um, Space Marauder on the Game Boy Color. <laughs> I bought my first copy of that when it was like $20, and I think carts are close to like $250 or $300 now. Outside of that, my Turbo Graphics collection, I didn't pay a whole lot of money for. Um, and now those prices are, you know, bonkers. I'm trying to think though, if there's like one, like super crazy piece, um, in the arcade realm, I don't know anything I've bought that's under $300, which is a lot of cabs. I don't know. There's a lot. (laughs) Prices are crazy right now. So pretty much everything in my collection. Um next question comes from Nick on Blue Sky. Hi Nick. Um He says, with the premiere of Labyrinth from Barrels of Fun, sorry about the pinball game, what are you hoping to see more of from new companies in the pinball world? When do you think we'll see a shift away from boomer themed tables and what music acts are most deserving of a table? He says the answer is Guar. I think Guar would make a great table. Um if we're talking about music specific games. So the problem with pinball, for those that don't know, is that a lot of the themes are based around like hair metal and eighties bands and seventies bands, um, guns and roses, iron maiden, things like that. And people keep asking for more and the companies keep pumping them out. So there's been a, a real, you know, now that some of us are primary candidates for pinball machines, um, the question keeps arising of like, what's going to be the next theme for the new audiences. Labyrinth was a good example of that where it appealed to the younger crowd in the pinball world. I know we're not young. However, it, it's appealing to the, what we consider the younger crowd because most people they're trying to appeal to now are in their like late fifties and sixties. Labyrinth was a great one. The game's super fun. We got to play it at Penn expo in Chicago, which we got to hang out with Nick at. Um, I think that Foo Fighters is a step in the right direction. I know that band isn't for everybody, but I think the game is fantastic. Um, I actually just set the grand champion score on our machine. I did like a half billion. Um, that game is made really well, and it's a good way to take a property and not base it completely around the music and make it a cohesive game and theme. So Foo Fighters, like I said, was a step in the right direction. I think it's good. Um, maybe some more bands along that line. Um, personally, I'd like to see like a house music theme or some sort of electronic music themed pinball. I think a Daft Punk machine. I know that like the Tron's are out there, but I think a Daft Punk machine could do really well. Um I'd like to see something that's based on like hackers that plays like roll the whole time. Uh that would be really cool. I think you could do a lot of fun things with some cartoons. I think I've said it before on the podcast and like while it's not really my jam, If you took, like, Spongebob Squarepants and did a Spongebob-themed game, I think a lot of people would buy it. I also think that any Nicktoons property or maybe incorporating all of, like, Snick into a property would be really good. Or even, like, a Cartoon Network-based one would be neat. Uh, Things like that... I. I know everybody is like clamoring for like original properties. I think the problem with original properties is a lot of them end up being cheesy. And if you look at something like galactic tank force, it's intentionally campy and it plays to its audience and its theme really well. And it's a fun game. Um, But as far as things I'd like to see, I think you could do like a really good (sighs) nightmare before Christmas theme, which like, Nightmare Before Christmas fans are like a whole thing that we won't get into. However, I think it can make a fun pinball. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Put in the comments what you would like to see out of a pinball machine. I think there's a lot of like super cool things that could be done um, as far as off-the-wall properties go. So I, I really think that, like, the cartoon direction's a good way. Um, Labyrinth was a great jump in the right direction, and I think more things like that would be really cool to see, like, a never-ending story come out of barrels of fun since they did such a good time with Labyrinth or did a good job with Labyrinth. Um, like I said, Nightmare Before Christmas would be cool. I'm trying to think. Like, there's got to be a theme... That's not a video game. That's like a movie property that people would really, really love. I think Toy Story was a good opportunity, but a miss. I think the game's fine, but I don't think that it's... They utilize that property well, especially since it ended up being Toy Story 4. I think there was a ton of missed opportunity there. Um it would be funny to see a pinball machine that is based on the nineties or like the eighties to nineties. That was like a general nineties nostalgia grab that integrated a lot of like little Easter eggs and things like that. Maybe you're inside of like a mall and your shots are reliant on things that are based on nineties properties. Like maybe you'll have the store from clerks or like, I don't know, the original Batman movie. I know that's 89, but we'll count it as the nineties or things like that, where it's like a clear telephone or, you know, whatever, like just little nods to the nineties. And then you could play around the play field and get different shots. That could be something cool where you integrate a lot of nostalgia with like some unique items. Hmm. Maybe I should pitch that to Stern or someone. I, I like that idea a lot. The more I think about it. So that's what I'd like to see in the pinball world. Um, As far as like music properties go, like I said, I'd like to see something electronic. Um, I'm really into like punk rock and stuff like that. So that's where I go. Um, Punk rock and house music. I know it's a weird divide. Um, There's a lot of great games you could, or bands you could pull from in that era. The next question comes from Warehouse Dave. What are the top five console library games where rare games tend to sell or trade easily at Radjunk? So I think what Dave's trying to ask here is like, what's the best liquid? Like if you come into Radjunk and you've got some games that you want to move or whatever, um, where we would value them very highly and we would pay, closer to that retail number just to get them on the shelf, to move them super fast. So right now uh, you can't go wrong with GameCube, uh, especially anything that's like 50 and up. However, um, like I said, we're starting to see a decline in GameCube asks. I think that N64 is always super solid, especially when you have your Mario's and your Zelda's and your Mario parties because we always need those. Pokemon's an obvious one. We always need Pokemon, and we're willing to pay up for it. So that's three. Um, I think that Super Nintendo RPGs, while they used to be like hardcore movers, uh, they're starting to slow down. I think that... Let me see. What else? Game Boy Advance is kind of slowing down for, like, the obscure stuff. I think that maybe I would go after that. I would go with, like, first-party Wii titles, Mario Kart, Brawl, the Mario Parties, stuff like that. Um, and then PS1 RPGs, I think, would be my next choice. A lot of them, so not like Final Fantasy seven. Um, that's too common and we get a lot of it and we have a lot of it, but I think that we always need more RPGs in that realm, more vagrant stories, more Valkyrie profiles, star oceans. Um, those are good ones, but what it really comes down to is those Pokemon games in 64 and GameCube right now. Um, but in 64 will always be the staple. I feel like, I feel like that was Nintendo's transitional period into 3d it was a lot of people's first introduction into 3d that didn't go with a PlayStation. And I think that there's a lot of nostalgia there and a lot of really solid titles overall on that platform. And when you bring in a copy of smash brothers, I am not going to let it leave the store. Um, we need it all the time. Just like we need Pokemon, especially, you know, Gen whatever Pokemon, like all of them, we need them all the time. So, if you're looking to trade for rare stuff or get great value for your trades, bring good shop stock because those are the things that we can sh- consider shop stock and we always need them. So bring those if you want to trade towards like a Jack Bros or a Pokemon box because those are the titles you're going to get your most bang for your buck for and we always need them. So that's my best advice. I think that, um, like I said, we're starting to see we. A lot, um. but I think if I was going to go top five in a list, it would be N64, GameCube, Game Boy, specifically Pokemon, PS1 RPGs, and first-party Wii titles. I think that those are my top five libraries that tend to sell or trade easily at RadJunk. Um, as far as liquidity goes. So that's a great question. Let's see. We got a few more. Um, Ryan asks, is there anything that you outright just don't want to carry for whatever reason? Sega Genesis. I'm kidding. Um, I say that like semi-jokingly. Sega's a hard sell. Uh, We've talked about it before for the reasons why it's a hard sale. But um, I think in all honesty, the one thing we don't carry is original Xbox 360 consoles. Um, they're just too problematic and I don't want to work on them. Um, so that's one thing we don't carry. We obviously refuse to carry repros. I mean, I know that's like making the question super broad, um, we don't carry any repros. We might put a homebrew in there every once in a while or a ROM hack, but we will never carry a reproduction cartridge as long as I'm alive. Um, I just think it's stupid. I'd rather not have a game at all than have repros. Um, I, the only thing we do with repros, so we've got like bags and bags of them of, that we've acquired over the years. And sometimes I'll glue onto the floor or to the sidewalk outside. Um, but we'll never carry repros. Original Xbox 360 console, we won't carry. Um, for a while, I kind of thought we would never carry like any more Atari stuff after our initial thing, but we see a lot of people that want it, so we continue to carry those. I call them the classic consoles. Um, we won't carry any like Chinese plug and plays like the 601s that are trying to be like the Nintendo classic consoles. Um, let's see, I don't know. Um, Ryan that asked questions actually in the chat and he said, I was talking to Greg at Really Rad Weekend and I like his Atari idea of just bundling games with consoles as they come in and selling them as a lot only. So, while I would agree with that, it's funny because we see more people than you would think wanting very particular games when they purchase an Atari, and not everybody's the same. I always thought that people would want to come in and get a copy of Adventure, a copy of Star Raiders, um, maybe Dragster, you know, some more common titles but people are very particular about their Atari titles and we do really well. Anytime we have an Atari console on the shelf, I think that bundling them is not the worst idea. And if you buy an Atari or you buy Atari games from us in like a lot, we will definitely give you a better deal. However, we do really well with individual Atari sales. And I want to know uh, one thing I forgot to mention in the opening of the show I forgot that I ordered an Atari 2600 plus, which is the new HDMI Atari that has an actual cartridge port. And it uses Stella, which is an emulator to play actual cartridges for both the 2600 and 7,800. And I'm interested to see if the availability of that increases Atari sales across the board with individual carts. Um, I actually had the 2600 plus hooked up today to the new big TV. And it was kind of funny. I was showing my kid adventure. Um, but yeah, as far as the Atari stuff, I thought the same thing, like, let's just get rid of it, but it does well. And it's nice to have like a little section of the classic stuff. So we've got some Atari games, uh, you know, 2600 through 7,800. We've got some Coleco games and television games, stuff like that. It's, um, It's interesting. So Ryan also points out in the chat and says that Atari in general is a pain to hook up to a modern TV. So uh, a few years ago, we were messing around with some, I guess it was like six or seven years ago now. We were messing around with some Ataris because they have that weird um, coaxing, which we have like little plug adapters that plug into the end of the coax um, and adapt it to like normal coax, which all modern TVs have. So it's not that hard. However, one thing that I did is to get a better quality signal. If you just pop the Atari open and you use an NES or a Genesis RF adapter, you can clip the center pin of the RF adapter and plug it straight into the board of the Atari and run it out. And then you have a nicer RF box instead of having to go through all that crazy stuff. Um, So that helps with the connectivity a lot. But it is nice that these newer ones use HDMI and things like that. Um, but, yeah, I thought we wouldn't carry Atari and Coleco and stuff like that, but we do decent with it, and it's fun to watch people get excited about that, too. Um, outside of that, I don't think there's much that we wouldn't carry. Emulator handhelds, um, I love them, but, like, it doesn't fit the mold of the store. Um Pokemon cards, we'll never sell that. I know a lot of video game stores are going into that model. It's not for us. Um, we won't do cards. So uh, go see our friends at Charles for that. I'm trying to think, though. I don't think there's much as far as like video games specifically go that we won't carry as long as it's not an emulation device and it's not a reproduction. Um, because we like for you to have the actual item um, I mean, we'll carry like third party consoles to play your games for ease of use and, you know, whatever, but nothing like no Amber Nick devices or Kitty devices, things like that. So, um, yeah, that was a good question because now it's making me think I'm going to have to think about some more. Maybe we'll revisit that topic too. Um, cause I like thinking about that a lot. Clint asks. Regional, cultural, everybody or nobody. Parquet slash country crock on your PB&J. Um, that sounds, if we're using your thing, that sounds regional. Uh, neither regular salted butter on a PB&J with toasted bread. That's my answer. And everybody, let's see. <clears throat> Mike Retrobash on YouTube asks, "What retro systems do you remember getting for Christmas?" All of them, literally all of them. Um, oh god, I almost knocked my computer off the table. Uh, so we grew up with not a lot of money, so getting a console was like super special. And almost every single console we got as kids, my brothers and I came at Christmas um, or was a Christmas gift that we received early when the console came out. So uh, my fondest, I mean, the first one I remember is my NES. We got an NES, I think in 89 for Christmas, um, which was super cool. It's my introduction to games more or less like, like real introduction to games. Uh, We got a super Nintendo for Christmas with Mario paint. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I'll never forget like firing that up for the first time. Uh, But the first game we played on that was actually super return of the Jedi. And I remember trying to figure out the opening level where you have to like use the land speeder and have to like jump over the things, which was crazy. Um, N64. Play Mario 64 for the first time and Diddy Kong racing. That was a big one. Um, let's see. What else? Dreamcast. OG Xbox. Xbox 360, even though we got that before Christmas, technically. Um, pretty much all of it. It's. uh, It's kind of wild. The OG Xbox was a good one, too, because like. It was mind blowing at the time, like firing up Halo and looking up at that ring, and you're just like, "What is going on?" Uh, Dreamcast was cool, mainly got games because we <laughs> we knew we were getting the console because um, we preordered it. But I think that playing Marvel for the first time, uh, Soulcal and Shinmu and all those games was a big deal. I think the big one though, like I said. Super Nintendo was huge for us, um, but also N64. Those were two solid ones that, like, waking up on Christmas was like super, super special, and just like seeing it there and being able to hook it up and play it. Star Fox 64 was like mind blowing, um, to me. I love that game to this day, and I always will, but. Yeah, we got most of our consoles on Christmas, so it was definitely like what we did. <laughs> we were a video game family even though we couldn't afford a lot of them or afford them often, like that's what we loved. Let's see. We got one more question here from Dylan. This one's kind of a a big one. It's a really good question and this might be a whole separate topic some week. Um It's almost 3 a.m. here, so I want to try and, like, cut this down just a smidge because I'm tired. Dylan asks, Dylan that used to do the show with us. Dead Dylan. Farewell, Dylan. We miss you. What are the possibilities of deterioration for each type of video game media? Cartridges? Discs? For example, will NES cartridges not work one day? And how do we preserve them? So... This leans into a whole bunch of stuff. Um, video game preservation is huge; it's very important at this point. Most things are preserved through piracy and emulation, which you know, whatever. We gotta do what we gotta do. Um, but as far as preserving the physical media, keep your stuff in good conditions. I know we most of us live in Florida and it's humid or whatever, but like, keep your stuff in a room that's air conditioned or boxed up, or whatever. Um, as far as cartridge deterioration goes, after PCBs got good, which is anything post-83, because the PCBs in like Atari games or whatever are trash. They're real bad. Um, started to see less deterioration. I've seen some copies of specific games on NES, like Felix the Cat, um, that get cold solder joints and they suffer from graf- graphical glitches. Uh, I almost said graphical, which is laughable. Um, And so they need to be reworked, reflowed. You know, solder needs to be freshened up. So I could see a lot of... I could see more carts leaning that way Uh, due to the manufacturing process. There's a... Rampant problem with tangent carts on the Sega Genesis, specifically Grindstormer, um, where the PCB just goes bad. And the only way to save it is to transplant the ROM chip from that game to a compatible cart. Um, I've done a lot of chip swaps for Grindstormer in particular to Sonic the Hedgehog cartridges because the Sega PCBs hold up a lot better. Um, the real problem that I see outside of like damage, like water damage and things like that is in CDs, which disc rot seems to be more and more prevalent. And I think it's more of a manufacturing problem than an overall media problem. Like I know CDs won't last forever. However, it seems that there are specific consoles, Sega CD, is a good example, the Wii U, which is a modern console by most standards um, that saw disc rot straight from the factory. And I see a lot of people describing disc rot as like the little blobby things in the disc media, which I don't call that disc rot. I saw that in games when I would buy them fresh off the shelf for the Xbox um, back in the day and they played fine. And I think it was just weird laser variances. Um, disc rod, though, you can see it. It's like pinholes. It's more like fungus. Uh, When you hold a disc up to the light and it almost looks like Swiss cheese. I mainly see it on Sega CD and Wii U. And I saw it the other day on Wii U games that were just, they were practically new, like Perfectly fine, no scratches, but they had pinholes in them in the data layer. And so that's a big problem. And I think that because of the fact that a lot of these digital storefronts are being taken down, and that was the primary way to access this media outside of its physical form, it's going to pose a very large problem in the future. So I don't know exactly how to solve that problem other than trying to convince video game manufacturers to leave their stuff online, which I know they don't have to listen. It's their business and like they want to push you to the new consoles. So maybe we'll see more and more re-releases if people are more vocal about the games that they want. Um and you can't really blame the video game manufacturers because to them it's not so much about collecting it's about selling the games because they want to put out new games to sell you more games so it's it's a weird tough place to be in um i think we're going to see a lot of hardware failures though uh the we use another good example with that Samsung memory controller that screws the solid state memory in it that Oh God, I'm tired. Excuse me. That some people are working on a solution for. But at some point, if you don't turn on your Wii U, it's just going to not work. Um, And I think that, like I said, we're going to see a lot more hardware failures. So that's why I am so fundamentally a proponent of console repair. Um, We may not be able to do as much of it as we like, but it's one of those things where it's a necessity because in order to play some of these games, there's not always going to be a device released by analog that uses proper stuff to emulate, you know, as close to the original as possible. I know that things are getting better, but if you have a big collection, like what's going to happen when the boards finally start dying on an NES or we're seeing it with the super Nintendo. Now the PPU two chip, the like, basically the processor for the graphics, they're just dying. And that's why you get the weird waves and like graphical glitches throughout the console. So as far as media goes to like really pinpoint and hone in on your question, I'd say Sega CD is the worst. Um, We use really bad. I think cartridges are pretty safe outside of the classic stuff. However, I think one thing we're going to have to keep an eye on is hardware and moving forward trying to preserve hardware in a way that is meaningful and um strategic and in a form that is also sustainable. So, it's one of those things where you really have to like learn to repair your stuff. Um so I think overall like this is why preservation's important. Um but also just keep your stuff in good places. Like I know that sounds stupid and I know it's tough sometimes, but the better condition your stuff lives in, the better condition your stuff will be. So that's the primary thing. Don't store your stuff outside in construction boxes. (laughs) I've bought things like that before. I'll show you guys at some point, some like rotting Atari cartridges, but I think that that's the, that's the key. So uh, the preservation is important. However, I don't think that cartridge uh deterioration is severe or awful. Um, outside of like Atari and Coleco and things like that, I could be wrong though. Um, I haven't cracked open a Jaguar game in a while, so there could be some things out there that are equally as bad, just like the tension cartridges on the Sega Genesis. So that was a fantastic question, and I think. With that question, that pretty much does it for this episode. Um, I'm extremely tired. For those of you that were in the Twitch chat, thank you for watching while we were recording. Hopefully, this recording does pretty well. Um, Like I said, we've got some new equipment that will be on the way probably next week or the week after, which I'm very stoked about uh, just to get this thing going in a better capacity. and Maybe we can record from the shop. We might switch the recording schedule from Thursdays to like Saturday nights. Um, just so we can get everybody in on the action because it's nice when I have the girls on so we can bounce stuff off and they've got some great stories from the shop. So that's coming. Uh, I'm going to try and record some more shorts. We were on a really good cadence for a while and I know we've broken it up, but we've been super, super busy. So it's uh, Stuff (laughs) Ryan in the chat says just me here. Joe don't make them think there's more for the recording. My thing says there were five a minute ago, which I know is a lie. So I just have to speak in generalities. Um, so we're trying to get back on a cadence of releasing some media. Like I said, I have a phone call with an editor on Tuesday, so maybe we can get some stuff out. I just don't have time to do it myself. Um, so keep an eye on the YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash radjunk. Um, go shop at the store. It's radjunk. It's in Fort Walton Beach. If you like video games, we also ship everywhere. So if you follow us on social media and you see something you like, just say, hey, hold that for me or send it to me, which is super cool. Um, go to the bar, celebrate Radder Day. Trade night is next week. So is Radder Day. Uh, four years of Rad Bar and uh, our monthly swap meet the last one before the holidays. So bring out your games to trade. Uh, We do trades at the store every day. That's a weird, common misconception that we only do trade-ins on trade night, but we do them every single day. So come sell your stuff. What else? Uh, I'd really, really appreciate everybody that contributes to the Q and a, it makes the show better and it makes my brain move a little bit better. Um, I know that like I ramble a lot on this, but this is kind of like my therapy session also. And I hope everybody's enjoying the podcast. And if you are share it with your friends also, um, go ahead and, you know, hit the stupid subscribe button on YouTube or on Twitch or on Apple podcasts and Spotify. (laughs) Evil presence showed up (laughs) right before I finished. I appreciate that. um, so this is released in audio form on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts every single week. Um, also on YouTube at youtube.com slash radjunk where you get the audio and video versions. And then we do it live on Twitch as we record. So uh you can find us as radjunk everywhere. Once again, I'm Joe. Thank you guys for watching. Thanks for listening for those of you who are listening to the audio version. And um Everybody have a safe week and stay rad.